Good morning, everybody. Well, we're going to wrap up the series we've been in now for uh, seven weeks called Hot Button Issues, and today I'm going to address the single most hated topic in church, and I guarantee you I'm right on when I say it's the single most hated topic in church. And uh, I uh, had a lady call me about, oh, I don't know, three or four years ago. She goes to our church and love her dearly, and uh, she said, I don't know how to ask you this, Pastor Kurt, but I... I, 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 I'm, I'm a little, I don't sound pushier, but what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I said, well, I, I told her what it was. I don't remember what it was. I told her what it was. And she goes, well, and she, this huge sigh of relief on the other end of the phone. I said, okay, tell me what's going on. Why did you ask me this question? And she said, well, because I've invited my husband and he said he would come for the very first time and I was just praying you weren't going to talk about money. Now, we laugh, or at least a few of us laugh, and, uh, but we know that, that her concern is certainly something that some of us have been through. I realize that for a lot of people, this uh, it really is the single most difficult topic to talk about in church. Uh, when I say we're going to talk about money, and by the way, if this is your first time, welcome to East Point. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, as, you know, despite the rumors to the contrary, I'm not as stupid as I look. And I, I know this is a challenging topic for some. I know that some of us, you might be wondering why there's a rock on stage. Some of us are as immovable as this rock. And believe me, no one or two people in this room could move that. It's very heavy. And some of us, when it comes to this topic, this issue, we get very upset, very unhappy. And it's very difficult for us. I get that. I understand. But I want to pray right now that God will calm your heart. And he'd open your, your, your heart to hear from him this morning. So let's pray. Father, this is your church. These are your people, God. And we need you. I need you right now. And I pray that you would really bring us to, to this point of peace this morning, that we would open our hearts to hear you, to hear your word. And God, though sometimes, in fact, often in my experience, the word challenges us, Lord, it also changes us to become more like you. And that's my prayer this morning. And so I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> many pastors tiptoe around this subject because they know it really is the number one hated topic. And the truth is, every time I have taught on this, and I mean every time, and by the way, I teach on it two, three, maybe four times a year. But every time I teach on this, I get at least one or two emails. Uh, occasionally, somebody gets up and walks out in the middle of the sermon, and uh, frequently, in fact, you would be surprised at how often someone has actually left our church because of my teaching on money. And so again, I'm going to ask you to listen. I, I want to address why this is a hot-button topic. Let's look at the why. Let's, let's be honest today with each other and take a look at the word, take a look at what God has to say, and consider why this might push our buttons. And here's the first reason I want to cover today. Number one, this is a hot button because the church at times has been guilty of financial mismanagement. The church, capital C, not, not East Point, not so far, but at often at, at large, the church has been guilty of financial mismanagement. I'll be honest with you. Some churches have manipulated their parishioners and, and done so to the leader's own selfish gain, and they've wasted kingdom resources. I will admit to you that is a problem, and it concerns me. I visited a church uh, about a year ago, a year and a half ago now, I guess, when I did my niece's wedding down in Southern California. And I won't mention the church. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. But back in the 70s, when I lived there, when I was in high school back before, you know, the dawn of age, um, they were building this building. And at that time, back in the late 70s, it cost, you ready for this? It cost $18 million to build back in the, the late 70s. In today's dollars, I, I looked it up. You can Google anything. So that's more like $50 million of what it would cost to build that same 
facility today. And recently he was sold to the Catholic Church for $57 million, and they are trying to raise another $50 million to renovate the property. And some of you hear that, you go, $100 million on a church building? That's just wrong. It pushes every button in us. And you go, you've got to be kidding me. That just can't be true. And yet it is. I read a report just this week about a, a pastor of a mega church in the Bible Belt. Not going to tell you who, not going to tell you where. But he teaches what is commonly referred to as the prosperity doctrine or prosperity theology, which, by the way, I don't teach, you don't believe. But he's been known to drive Rolls Royces, to travel on a private Gulfstream jet, and he wears watches and jewelry that's worth more than most of us make in a year. And all of this at the expense of the church with church resources. And I'm telling you, in our guts, we know that is not like Jesus. We know it's not like him who said in Matthew 8, 20, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I don't know how you can read a passage like that or other passages in the New Testament and, and think that the Bible says he, God's goal is just to make you fat and happy and so that you can drive around in, in the most expensive car and live the rich, in life the rich and famous. I don't know where we get that. Now, when Jesus said foxes you know, have nests and uh, dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's not saying that to be Christ-like, we have to be homeless, so relax. He's not saying that we have to take a vow of poverty either. But here is what I believe Jesus teaches and what the word is clear on, and I want to make this clear. Extravagant and wasteful use of kingdom resources is terribly out of sync with the heart of Jesus, and therefore it should be out of character for any follower of his. Let me say that again. Extravagant and wasteful use of kingdom resources is terribly, horribly out of sync with the heart of Jesus, and therefore it should be not, you know, a part of who we are, part of our character. It should be out of character for those who follow him. And what disturbs me about this, and I do get bugged just like you do, is that the reputation of Jesus' church has been soiled by a few who think they're going to live like CEOs of Apple or Microsoft, or by churches who waste millions and millions of dollars building edifices to their own glory. Yes, that is a problem. It breaks my heart that some church leaders and churches have abused the king's resources and, and have done so to build their kingdom, not his. And it's wrong. I'm going to admit to you, it's wrong. It's ungodly. It tragically slimes God-honoring churches like East Point trying to do their best to manage their resources in a way that pleases God. And so part of the reason why this is a hot button is because of frustration. We are terribly frustrated with what we see, and I get it. Here's the second reason. Number two. This is a hot button because people struggle to manage financial resources with godly priorities and wisdom. Because we struggle to manage what we have with godly priorities and wisdom. And let's be honest, some of you get very uncomfortable when money is mentioned in church because you don't want to face the reality of your own financial struggles and perhaps your possible mismanagement. Kind of like going to an NRA gun convention and talking about gun control or going to a Weight Watchers meeting with a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Not a good idea. <laughs> Awkward. I mean, it's not easy. I get it. And so people don't want to hear about money when they have money problems. I understand. People don't want to hear about giving it away when they feel like they can't. And people, a lot of people, believe that money management is strictly a personal topic and none of the church's stinking business. Don't tell me what to do, how to manage my money. And though I would agree, it is a personal issue. I hope you're listening. It is. Though it is personal, it is not out of bounds for the church to address or for pastors to teach on. Why? Well, because throughout the Gospels, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus speaks more about money and possessions than any other single topic. Surprise, he does. Why? Because Jesus knew that the love of money becomes a false god that rivals our devotion for the, to the one true God. Jesus addressed this issue again and again, way more than I do, by the way, for the record, because he is concerned, as I am, that this would become the love of money. Money's not evil. It's the love of money. It's the root of all evil, the Bible says. Concerned that it would become a false God that rivals our devotion to the one true God. And as an under-shepherd, as a pastor in the church, under the, the shepherd of the church, I must teach what Jesus taught. And I must do it for the same reason he did, because it matters, because it is a heart issue, and because we cannot afford to let this rob us of what God wants. In fact, like few other topics, this really is an issue of the heart. And I, the reason why it's the number one hated topic in church is because unlike any other thing we could talk about, this at some level impacts all of us. It touches all of us. And our hearts and our money are powerfully linked. If you haven't figured it out yet, then, then you're probably about two years old. I, I, I was supposed to be a joke. The older you get, the more you realize how, you know, our, our hearts and money are linked, and they're linked spiritually. And when we're heart sick, it's often because we are money sick. Money matters because what we do with it reflects what's in our hearts. I had a guy come to me about five years or so uh, when we were in the old auditorium. And he came up to me after service. And uh, I've known this, known, knew this guy for quite a while. And he came up to me, made a beeline for me, and got pretty close, got in my personal space a little bit, and pointed his finger at me and says, if you ever teach on money again, I want you to know I'm leaving this church. And I was, I, to be honest with you, and I'm just, you know me, if I'm anything, I'm honest. I'm just being, I was shocked. I was like, Whoa. Because I, I, I know this guy, and I love this guy, and he's a, he loves Jesus. And, I, and I, I said, wait a minute, time out. I said, what's going on? I said, did I teach heresy today? Did I teach something Jesus doesn't teach? And he goes, no. But then he made this statement. He says, but my money's between me and God and none of your business, none of the church's business. And that's when it dawned on me. I, it hit me just like that. I, I, I saw the problem. The problem was he had a false belief about ownership. He had a false belief about ownership. From his perspective, what he had was his to own and not simply his to manage under God's control. It was his. So don't talk to me about it. It's mine. It's none of your business. None of the church's business. In fact, he, he wouldn't say this, but what he basically was saying is it's none of God's business. But guys, the Bible teaches, and I have taught this before, and I will consistently teach this. The Bible teaches that we are stewards. Uh, it's an old word, but a better word would be perhaps managers. Managers of God's resources. We manage what belongs to him, and it all belongs to him. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> if you are a Christ follower, you need to understand that though your salvation is a free gift from God, it is, you can never earn it, you can never buy it, it's a, salvation is a gift of God's grace, it is. Though that is true, it will cost you everything to follow Jesus, everything. Luke 14, Jesus said, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And in the context here, Luke 14, look it up on your own. 
That, that passage, Jesus talks about we've got to love him more than we love. In fact, the, the Greek uses the word, you've got to hate your mother and father and brothers and sisters in comparison to the love you have for God. Now, it doesn't mean you hate them in a vile, mean way. It's a comparison term. And what Jesus is teaching is you've got to love me more than it, nothing else comes even second, close second. Love me more than anyone or everything else in your life. And that's in that context that he says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus told the rich young ruler, Mark 10, to go and sell all that he had and give it to the poor and then to come and follow him. Why would Jesus do that? Because he looked into that man's heart and he saw that that man had made a false god, an idol out of his possessions and his money. That man had a heart problem. And that's the very same passage in Mark 10, verse 23. Jesus makes a statement, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Not impossible, but hard. Why? Because they love money more than they love God. You see, it's not what we own that matters, but what owns us. It's not what we own that matters, it's what owns us. And that's why Jesus spoke to this issue and warns us to be careful and to not buy into the mentality of this world. Here's the truth, this is what the Bible teaches. God owns everything. We own nothing, it is his. It all belongs to him and so he gets to call the shots. Most of you have heard by now that I got a contract with Tyndale Publishers for uh, my book. And uh, I, nobody's, oh no, it's, nobody's more surprised than I am, trust me. Uh, seriously shocked by that, and I don't say that in false humility. I just, I'm blown away by what God has done. And it's probably going to be this next fall, fall of 2013, before it's out. It takes a while. I've learned that the publishing world moves slowly, and that's okay. But uh, a year, year and a half ago, long before I ever had a contract, long before that ever even came into my thinking, I'm praying one morning, and, and I actually got up early that day, and I wrote a chapter in the book, and, and I often write early. I get up 5, 5.30. I was sitting, wrote some things down in the book, in, in the manuscript, and got done. I was praying that, that morning, and the Lord said, would you, would you give me the proceeds from what you're going to make off this book? And it's one of those times, and I, I did this audible conversation with God, but it was clear. The Lord said, would you give me whatever you might make off of this? Well, my first thought was, <laughs> you know, sure, you know. Zero of zero is zero. You know, I don't know what to make of this. You know, like, you got to be kidding me. But then I felt like the Lord was very serious. It was one of those sober moments with the Holy Spirit. No, would you give it? Would you give me ninety percent? Would you reserve, reverse tithe? Give ninety percent of whatever you're going to make off that book. And and honestly, at that point, I was like, yeah, yes, Lord, of course I would. It, anything I have, it all belongs to you, anyhow. So sure, yeah, that's of course I would. That was long before I got a contract. Now, uh, you may have known, know this as well. I haven't seen it yet. Like I said, the publishing world moves slowly. But I did get a $15,000 royalty. Guys, an advance royalty, $15,000, that's unheard of. Nobody, if you, nobody gets that. Especially a first-time author from the backwaters of Spokane. Nobody gets $15,000. It's just like $5,000. It would be normal and pretty good. Pretty good. $15,000 advance royalty. That is amazing. And I had somebody ask me, because they'd heard that I was going to give 90% of the proceeds back to the kingdom, back to the church. They said, you're not really going to, that's a lot of money. I mean, you know, surely you didn't think it would be that much money, did you? And I go, I know I didn't think it was that much, but yes, absolutely, I'm going to give that. I, I wouldn't even question. And then they said, well, what if you sell a million copies and you make a million dollars? I said, well, then the church is going to get $900,000. Now, you think, I'm not bragging, guys. You need to know I practice what I preach. And for me, the reason why, you need to hear this. 
the reason why this is okay, in fact, I delight in doing this, is because I don't own it. It does not mine to begin with. Everything I have belongs to him. It's his. And so if he says, this is what I want you to do, man, I'm glad. I am so on board with that, Lord. But when we hold on and hoard, it is almost always because we misunderstand this issue of ownership. Let me illustrate it this way. If I let you borrow my car and you needed to run an error or something, I said, here's the keys, knock yourself out, just, you know, don't knock my car out, but sure, here are the keys. And, and then when you got back, I said, can I have my keys back? Are you going to get mad? What, what do you mean give the keys back? No, why? Because it's my car. If I let you borrow my weed whacker out of my garage and I say, hey, when you're done, just put it back in the garage, okay? Just put it Are you going to get ticked off because I ask you to return something? No, why? Because it belongs to me. Well, in the same way, I want you to understand it belongs, it all belongs to God. And when God says, I want you to do this with that, I want you to give that away. I want you to, to bless this person. I want you to bless the church. I want you to put the kingdom first. It should be a duh. Like, okay, of course, Lord, it's yours. I just manage. It all belongs to you, God. And so you get to call the shots. And we just get to be grateful to be stewards of his resources. I want to make a statement. If I haven't pushed your button yet, here it comes. I'm about to. Too often, our wallet is the last thing we submit to the lordship of Jesus. I've been in church all my life. I've been pastoring for 35 years. And too often our wallet's the last thing we submit to the Lordship of Jesus. And here's what's sad about that. As long as money has an unholy grasp of our heart, then we will never become the man or woman God wants us to be. And you're never going to experience the adventure and the life he wants you to live. Do you understand how thrilling it is? Some of you don't, some of you do. I'm telling you, it is a rush. It is thrilling to be able to, to be radical in your giving, to be able to, to say, God, I am so, you have blessed me, and I am a wealthy man. I, and not just be, money, I don't have a lot of money in the bank, but I am wealthy because of the family. I have my kids, my grandchildren, my wife. Wealthy because of the friendships I have, the church I have. I am a wealthy man. God, you have blessed me in anything I can give to honor the blessings you've given to me. Oh, God, it is an adventure. It is, it is awesome. And it's a privilege to do so. Why? Because of what he's done, because of what he's given. And here's the problem. A divided devotion leads to a depreciated life. A divided devotion leads to a depreciated life, and I don't want you to live any less than what God wants you to do or live. But if and when we get this ownership thing messed up, it messes us up. But there's freedom and blessing that comes in managing his resources with godly priorities and wisdom. Sometimes we're frustrated with the church. Sometimes, quite frankly, we've been foolish in our understanding of money. Here's the third thing, number three. Here's the last thing I want to consider. This is a hot button because we live in fear rather than faith. Because too often we live in fear rather than faith. Not only do we have an ownership challenge, but we have a fear problem. And because of fear, we don't want to relinquish control to God because we really don't trust him. And I tell you, if you want to test your heart in this, then Look at what you do with your resources, what you do with your possessions, what you do with your money. Look at the response that you have or that you would make when God says, come here, I want you to do this with that. Look at what's going on in your heart because the, often the issue is we don't trust him. You know, many are familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lots of us, when we were kids, we memorized to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, 
In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. He'll make your path straight. And that's an awesome promise and, and it's, a, it's a call to live in a trusting relationship with God. Trust in the Lord with all, all your heart. Don't lean on your own ability to figure things out or to do the math. or It doesn't make sense, God. I don't think this is a good idea. Don't lean there. But in all your ways acknowledge him, trust him, put him first. And the Bible says he'll get you where you need to be. But in the same context of this passage in Proverbs chapter 3, Verse 9, just a few verses down, it says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of everything you produce. In the very same context that we're called to trust God, just a few verses later, the Bible says, honor God. Put him first with the very best, the first and best of everything you produce. What's taught here, in case you're wondering, is that we are not to give God our leftovers. We don't pay the bills put our vacation money aside for Disneyland, make sure we got our pizza and beer money, and then give God whatever's left over. That's not the way the Bible calls us to live. Old or New Testament says, put him first. Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and it's in the context, again, of possessions and what we own and stuff. Seek the kingdom first. That's the call. Why? Because that's where we show our trust. And so we don't give God our leftovers because that's not an act of trust. We put him first. And I want to suggest that our ability to honor God with our giving has everything to do with our ability or our choice to trust in him. Some struggle with selfless and generous sacrifice because they live in terror of the unknown. And I understand. I get it. But they live in, without faith and trust in the faithfulness of God. What if I lose my job? What if, if the economy goes sideways again. What if gas goes to $10 a gallon? What if we live in a what-if world of fear rather than in trust and faith? And fear consumes us. The reason why I would land on this today is because fear is a horrible enemy, and it rips us off. Fear robs our peace. It robs our joy. You cannot live with fear and live in that realm and experience the joy and the freedom and the peace that God wants you to experience you cannot know the joy of living a radical life of abandonment to the goodness and the faithfulness of God unless you trust in him with all your heart. A couple years ago, a single mom in our church emailed me, and you know my heart for single moms. I, I have a soft spot for them. I just love them. And she emailed me, and she told me a story in this email that I'll, I'll try to recount for you as best as I can. But she was working two jobs trying to make ends meet. I uh, was having a difficult time, and she had a tooth that was killing her, a tooth that was bothering her. She knew that she had a tax refund coming. She'd filed early, and she expected it any day. And she, in her mind, she had planned. She said, I'm going to take my IRS tax refund, and I'm going to go to the dentist. Like she didn't have dental care. She didn't have dental coverage. She didn't have any money. She said, I'm going to take my IRS tax refund and go to the dentist to get my tooth fixed. Perfectly reasonable. Sounds very rational. Sounds like a good idea to me. But she writes, she said, but a, 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 about a week or so, uh, before I got my tax refund, she said, I, the, the Lord asked me to, to, to give it all to East Point, to give it to our building fund. We were in the process of remodeling and trying to expand this room. And she said, I felt like the Lord said, this is what I, I'm giving this to you. I, I know you don't have any other money. I want you to just give that in its entirety to East Point. And in the email, she says, I really struggled. And I can imagine. She said, I struggled for a couple of days. I wrestled through with this. God, hello, do you know? Yeah. Tooth, problem, no money. Come on, give me a break. And she said, but the more she prayed about it, I was so proud of her. She said, the more I prayed about it, the more I knew this is what, exactly what God wanted me to do. 
Check came. She deposited, wrote a check, put it in the offering. She said it was the greatest joy of her life to be able to put that in the offering. She said, because I wanted to see what God was going to do. And I get choked up thinking about it because she said, just a matter of days later, a friend of hers, doesn't go to our church even, a friend of hers said, I, 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 you're having tooth problems, aren't you? Yeah. She said, I, I just felt like the Lord told me to pay for your dental bill. I want to, I want to well, just go to the dentist and I'm going to take care of you. Now, by the way, side note, she said the amount that the dentist bill ended up being was more than her IRS check. She wouldn't have had enough on her own anyhow. You guys, you hear stories of that, you go, yeah, right, whatever. I could tell you a thousand stories. How many of you have a story like that? Raise your hand. Yeah, look around the room where you did something in obedience and you knew it was going to be risky, and yet God came through. He loves to take care of his kids, and he loves it when we trust him with all of our hearts. This is the life of trust and faith that he's called us to live. And it's here that we experience the truth of what Jesus said, that is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that. Trusting, selfless, sacrificial, generous giving is at the heart of God and at the heart of the gospel. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't give his leftovers. He didn't give just a little. He gave his one and only son so that you and I could have life, so that we could be brought back to relationship with him. God is the ultimate and the perfect giver. It is his nature and who he is. And there is no worthier goal than you and I, that you and I have than to give like God gives. And listen to me, and to give for the very same reason. Why would you give to the church? Because God loves the world, and he wants to reach the lost. He wants to encourage the broken. He wants to heal the wounded. The church, because it is the body of Christ, is the hope of the world. It is. Not perfect, but we serve the perfect one. And so, listen to me, without apology and with boldness, I will always, if you're going to hang around here, you might as well figure this out now, I will always call you and challenge you to engage. I am never going to be satisfied with pew-sitting, bench-sitting, couch potatoes, I'm always going to call you, engage in the kingdom. Give away the gifts, the abilities, the skills, the heart that God has given to you. I'm always going to call you to serve. And I will do so without apology because Jesus said, I came to serve. To serve. I came to give my life away as a ransom for many. We follow his example. And so if that's what he did, that's what we're going to do. And as a pastor, I am always going to call you to serve, to get in the game, to engage. And guys, I will always, without apology, call you to give. Not so that I can drive around a Rolls Royce or so that we can put crystal chandeliers in our Kmart. I promise you that's not going to happen. <laughs> I will call you so that we can advance the kingdom, so that we can do what God's called us to do and become what God's called us to be. And it is a huge task. And the, quite frankly, it is a huge task that cannot be accomplished without resources, without money, without you. It's huge. But here's the last thing I want to say. Very last thing, and in fact, again, I'm going to point out this rock. Here's the thing I want you to leave with today. This image of this huge rock and this truth, a shared burden is an easier burden. A shared burden is an easier burden. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how many steroids you might take. If I called you up here to move this rock and you're on your own, there's no way. Believe me, it's really heavy. Not going to happen. But if I ask three or four, I won't. But if I ask three or four of you to come up and move this rock, 
that's when it becomes possible. A shared burden is an easier burden. And the reason God has put us in the community of faith, in the church, is so that we can share the resources that God has given us, it's that we might bless a, a needy body, church, and bless the world around us. He's called us to, this, to share this burden so that we can accomplish his purposes on the earth, to advance the kingdom of God. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I ask you, if there's someone here this morning that's still frustrated with the church, that you would help them to forgive. They're frustrated with the failings of some, Lord, and the church finances, that you would help them to release that burden and forgive. Lord, if there's some who are here today and they've been foolish in their understanding of ownership or foolish and their practices with money. I pray, God, that you give them wisdom, give them understanding, give them insight, help them see the truth of your word and the truth, the joy that comes from owning nothing, of surrendering our all to you. And Lord, we live free when we live completely surrendered to you. It is a paradox. It doesn't make sense, but it is so freeing, so joy-filled to live that way where it all belongs to you. Lord, if some have been foolish, give them wisdom today. And then, God, if some have been fearful, and I know that we live in a culture that just feeds that fear. I know, Lord, I, I read a lot of the, the comments on Facebook and the talk to people, and they're worried about our economy and worried about what's going on in Israel, worried about what's going on in Europe, and worried about what's going on in their own finances, worried about, God, we could go on and on and on. And fear cripples us. It robs us. It destroys us us, Lord. But when we fix our eyes on you, Lord, when we fix our minds and our hearts on you, and we trust in you with all that we are, that's the life, Lord, that you've called us to live, and that's a life of freedom and joy. Free us from fear this morning, Lord, and help us to take the step of faith in our pursuit of you to advance the kingdom of God. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today, and you know, I <laughs> might seem kind of crazy on a Sunday where you talk about money to say, would you surrender your life to Jesus? But it's, it is my call. I'm going to invite you in just a moment. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you want to surrender your all to him, your past, your present, your future, your everything to Jesus, and I want you to understand, in exchange, you get everything that really matters. See, that's the deal. We give up the temporary to get the eternal really good deal. We give up what we can't hold on to to gain what we would, can never lose. And if you're here today and you want to give your heart, your life to him and receive that, that gift of salvation, that grace, that forgiveness that he offers, just make this prayer yours. Father, forgive me. I've sinned. I've done life my way for way too long and I want to do it your way now. I surrender. I surrender. I yield. I give up. I embrace what you've done for me on the cross. And today I say, yes, Jesus, I give you my all. Thank you for giving your all for me. Now, if that's you, and that's your heart, just in your own way, say, yep, God, that prayer, that's what I want. And just as you own that in your own heart, as you make that decision in your own mind, that's what the Bible says. When you say yes to him, you enter into a relationship with him. It's the beginning, but it's an incredible beginning of an eternal journey with the Father. Lord, for those making that decision, show them today that they're your child and what it means to be yours. Bless them. Comfort them. 
lead them, guide them, fill them with your spirit right now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Guess what we're going to do? We're going to take an offering. Uh, we always do at this point, if you're visiting, this wasn't anything planned. We all, this is our normal spot, but I would encourage you. You know, I want to thank you. Some of you need to hear this. I want to thank the many of you who have been faithful and have given so much and have faithfully supported this church. I want to honor that, and I want to challenge all of us to keep giving to bless him. So let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. I love that phrase, Jesus came and died and gave his life for us. In the context of what he's given to us, how could we not give him our all? That's the question I want you to leave with today. If you began your life as a Christ follower today, welcome to the family of God, to relationship with Jesus and with his church. I encourage you to tell somebody, let them know. Come up and let me know. We want to walk with you. And back on the tables, by the doors, there's a package for new Christians out, new believers. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started and walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Prayer team, be down front. There's communion both sides of the room. My prayer for you this week as you go and engage in the thankful heart that God's given us. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming today.